Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. What is up, beauties? This is the Bear of Texas, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, today I want to step back into the time machine, go back to 2018. To be more specific, we are going to the semifinal clash between France and Belgium of the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Russia. Personally, for me, it was another special World Cup because France won, and you guys know how much the French national team means to me. And of course, 20 years after they won their first title back in 1998, it was finally good to see Les Bleus be world champions once again. It was finally good to see them on top of the world, quite frankly, where they belong. Now... Obviously, there's no point of not giving credit to Belgium because Belgium honestly had quite a tournament. It's unfortunate for them that it had to end in the semifinal clash against France. But at the end of the day, what's what really makes Belgium pretty proud and they should be proud is that they were able to actually take home the bronze medal. Of course, in their case, the gold medal would be what they really wanted. But you know... For a team that had such a unique golden generation as well, at least they were able to take something home because a lot of other nations simply did not take anything home. We're going to take a look at how they got to meeting in this amazing, hard-fought semifinal game. I mean, this particular game, ladies and gentlemen, France versus Belgium, one of the most physical, hard-fought games in world Cup history. I remember sitting on the couch with my dad and my mom and my cat watching this game. This couldn't have been the most nail-biting, stressful game I have ever watched, okay? France winning one nothing like that, okay? Anytime I felt that Belgium could have equalized at any moment, but somehow, someway, France was able to deny Belgium Time after time after time after time because Belgium, excuse me, Belgium did not stop. Belgium did not slow down. They just kept attacking and attacking and attacking. The French defense, which was absolutely formidable, had to find a way to continually thwart every attempt that the Belgian attack made. So, before we get too deep in the game, let's talk exactly how they got to there. We'll go ahead and start with France. France was drawn to arguably a very easy group. France should have had no problem winning all three games. Not just simply winning them, but winning them in spectacular fashion. But ladies and gentlemen, that simply did not happen. France did top their group, okay? But the results were poor, and France was not in top form. 
and the fact that France was arguably the most talented and loaded team of the 2018 World Cup, the results in the group stage, despite winning and topping the group, the results on the pitch were unsatisfactory. They were in Group C, along with Denmark, Peru, and Australia. How difficult could could it have been? I mean, it should have been really easy for France, even though there's no such thing as an easy game, okay? And that's exactly what was proved. France's opening game, June 16th, 2008. It was a 5 a.m. game. I remember I came home from work at 3 in the morning, okay? And I figured, you know what? It's two hours until game time. I'm just going to take a shower, eat some food, and then just get ready for the game. Now, I was staying with my parents at the time, okay? And I figured, you know, I guess it's, 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 I guess, you know what? I'll get some sleep after. I mean, I do have to go back to work, but that won't be until 5 in the evening. I can just watch this game and then get, get all the sleep I can. So, no problem. So, I remember, you know, four, at 4 a.m., my dad wakes up because even though my dad is not the kind of person, much like my friend and mentor Steve, he's not the kind of person that's going to get up at the early, at the very early morning hours to watch a soccer game. But when it comes to the World Cup and if France is playing, an exception is made. The same thing goes for me, ladies and gentlemen. But this game, you know, as frustrating as it was, I couldn't say that I was surprised because, you know, the way it felt, it's exactly what I was afraid of, okay? I figured if France comes in the game... All arrogant, egomaniacal, not you know, with much narcissism, it's gonna doom them, okay. And France was lucky to beat Australia. And to be honest, you know, and as I'm going deep into this game, I'm sorry, I'm going so deep into this game particularly because this is just how this is how France got to the deal. This is the beginning. I'm gonna go through everything, especially with France, because I watched the games, I studied them. I did what I like to call the psychological examination. I studied the games, the performance, how the game went, so I can describe each game into full detail as I am doing this very moment. A 0-0 draw for most of the game, okay? And early in the game, Australia, off of a free, free kick, came within inches of taking the lead, but Hugo Lloris was able to save the shot. At the very last second. So Hugo Luis really saved France in that game. Maybe he saved France alone the entire tournament. Although, Benjamin Pavel would soon do that. In the 58th minute, Australia commits a foul. And at first it seems that the referee would wave it off. But then something magical happened. And it really changed soccer. Some say for the, for the positive. But many say... For the negative, I am talking about video assistant referee, or as the soccer world likes to say, VAR. So at first it seems the ref- the penalty, would, so-called penalty, would be waved off. But then the referee decides, well, this is the first time. Let's go ahead and check it. Let's make history. And as we know, VAR would do its thing. But keep in mind, the referee makes the decision. It's the this referee's decision at the end of the day. The VER just shows you what happened in slow motion from different angles. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all get the idea. So the referee awards France a penalty, and Antoine Griezmann becomes the first player to take a penalty, that, a penalty which was decided via VAR. 
and Antoine Griezmann would then go on to successfully convert to penalty. France is up 1-0, but four minutes later, Samuel Umtiti is caught using his hand in the penalty box, and Australia is awarded a penalty, which they successfully equalize. I'm going to be honest, I don't know if I've ever seen Hugo Lloris actually save a penalty before, but hey, at least I've never seen it, maybe it's happened, but hey. And that's in the 62nd minute, 1-1. One one. I figured, I sw and I was still fearing that Australia was going to pull off a late goal, and France was going to suffer. But then we get to 10 minutes left in the game. It's still 1-1, France is not showing any signs of pulling through. Until what seemed to be Paul Pogba kicking the ball in in fashion to where like he was he was probably trying to kick the ball away, kick it out of bounds to stop Australia's attack. Because Australia was attacking, Australia seemed on top of their game. They were threatening, and I guess out of desperation, Paul Pogba just kicked the ball, seemed to be kicked the ball away, but the ball would hit the goalpost and bounce into the goalie goalkeeper's net. Well, I shouldn't say into the goalkeeper's net because it touched the net. But the ball went in, okay? The referee did review it, and you see in slow motion, it hits the hit the top bar, lands into the, penalty, into the goal box, lands behind the line. That constitutes a goal. So it seemed for a while that Paul Pogba was indeed the guy to score, but apparently they changed it. Apparently it seemed that it was an own goal by an Australian defender, because while Pogba probably kicked it, I guess maybe it touched the Australian player, Therefore, it was ruled by an, it was ruled an own goal. Personally, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the VAR says, what the referee says, what the pundits say. Paul Pogba scored that goal, and France wins two to one. That's one. The second game against Peru. Now, let's keep in mind, Peru. This was their first World Cup since 1982, and Peru had had, had been coming off a uh, disappointing one nothing loss in Denmark against Denmark in their opening game. But this game, ladies and gentlemen, Peru was quite frankly the much better team. Even though France won 1-0 courtesy of Kylian Mbappe scoring on what was a beautiful, beautiful maneuver set by the French offense. Peru was playing magnificently on defense. The Peruvian goalkeeper made a, made a number of saves. And Peru came to play. Okay. And on that particular play, Olivier Giroud was dribbling the ball had at least three Peruvian defenders as well as the Peruvian goalkeeper fooled. And when they were all when he saw that they were all their attention was on him, Kylian Mbappe snuck past all three of those defenders. Giroud made a quick pass. Kylian Mbappe was able to get the ball in. The Peruvian goalkeeper never had a chance because once he saw what the the trick the, the trap that the French offense set up, the trap was sprung. France had a one nothing lead and it remained that, that way the same game and the rest of the time. And even to this day, I give Peru a lot of credit because Peru looked at a team that was heavily loaded, heavily stacked, heavily talented, heavily expensive. They looked that French team in the face and said, bring it on, tough guy. And Peru was absolutely resilient, a valiant effort. Unfortunately, it was not enough. France was able to get away with it. But I will admit, France did get lucky in that game. Because while Peru was very tough on defense and the goalkeeping, the Peruvian offense was threatened every now and then, but they just could not get the ball through because Hugo Lloris was actually showing how skillful he is at, some, at making saves. I understand that Hugo Lloris has made mistakes, but you know what? 
Overall, we cannot deny the type of talent that Hugo Lloris is. He has done some great things. <laughs> the final game was a 0-0 draw against Denmark. I know that some of the starters didn't actually play, but there's really nothing to talk about in this game. Now before we get to the knockout stage, let's go ahead and scroll over down to Belgium. Group G, drawn alongside England, Tunisia, and Panama. Now as far as Panama goes, this was actually their very first World Cup appearance. And Tunisia, I believe this was Tunisia's first appearance since 2002 or 1998. If I were to take a wild guess, I think it was 19... I know, I know in 98 in France, Tunisia was there. But anyway... You know, two. You know, one team making its debut. One team, you know, returning after a, long, you know, an absence that seemed that it was absolutely forever. And then England and Belgium. You know, two of the two big teams. You know, that much like France, heavily loaded with talent. Belgium, not surprisingly, won the scoop. And, and I remember, you know, talking, you know, making predictions, writing an article for uh, a website I, I, I used to write for, which I really don't want to talk about because it brings up. Uh, Something that really hurt me because something happened. But anyway, I figured Belgium is very disciplined. They've got veterans. They've got talent. Same thing with England, but Belgium's golden generation seems more experienced. Therefore, Belgium is the favorite to win the group. Belgium did, winning all three games, forcing nine goals, conceding only two. Starting off with a very good 3-0 win against Panama. Followed by a 5-2 win against Tunisia. And finally, a 1-0 win against England. In particularly, you know, I'm ashamed to admit, I did watch the game against, uh, against Panama, but I was unable to catch the second game against Tunisia. But the game against uh, England, the final third, the, the, the third game, and I had this, this this discussion with my dad, because my dad asked me, if Belgium should should rest their starters, I said, well, either way, there's going to be consequences because Belgium's already through to the knockout stage. But right now, England and Belgium are playing for a spot like who, the winner tops the group, okay? So Belgium cannot afford to rest their starters, okay? So I figured, well, this game, Belgium and England, it's a meaningful game. Sometimes a third, you know, sometimes for a lot of teams, if a team already has secured its... Uh, Qualification in the knockout stage, they'll rest their starters. I mean, France did that against uh, Denmark, okay. But you know, lucky for them, it resulted in a scoreless draw. And I believe that zero-zero game between France and Denmark was the only scoreless game in the entire FIFA World Cup of twenty eighteen. But anyway, Belgium would win. You know, one nothing. Belgium would top the group, and then we go on to the knockout stage. Start off with France. Okay, a magnificent, historic, forever to be remembered round of sixteen clash with Argentina, France winning four to three. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you that it is no exaggeration, no exaggeration whatsoever to say that the twenty eighteen World Cup round of sixteen game between France and Argentina will go down as one of the greatest World Cup games. In history, Kylian Mbappe, ladies and gentlemen, the Kylian Mbappe is the highlight of that game because the entire time he showed off his unique speed, he was torturing a struggling Argentine defense. Okay, 
And on one particular play, he stole the ball, immediately took off sprinting, sprinting right through the Argentine defense. And then Marcos Rojo would manage to catch up to him. But Marcos Rojo would do would commit what obviously was a mistake. But a lot of people argue that Marcus Rojo did what he had to do to stop Mbappe because it seemed, because Mbappe was so fast, the only way to stop him would be to foul him. It's never a good idea to foul somebody. But then again, Mbappe was wreaking havoc on a struggling Argentine defense. Okay? Mbappe is taken down in the penalty box. The referee points to the spot. Penalty for France. In the 13th minute, Antoine Griezmann succeeds. France is up one nothing. Argentina did not have a good World Cup that year, especially in the group stage. Suffering a 1-1 draw against Iceland where Lionel Messi missed a penalty. Well, that was huge. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's something to talk about for the Icelandic national team. I mean, that goalkeeper can actually tell a story that one day, at one time, he represented his country in the World Cup. He denied Lionel Messi. I can't say Lionel Messi missed the penalty. The goalkeeper blocked it. Messi was denied. There is a difference, ladies and gentlemen. Missing the penalty is when you kick the ball and it goes way out of the play. But when you are denied, it's when the goalkeeper prevented it. There is a difference, ladies and gentlemen. When you're passionate about soccer, that's the scenario you go with. Anyway... It really felt like, and before, in honest, I should say, Argentina was close to crashing out of the group stage, but a win against Nigeria was able to get him through to the knockout stage. So France has a one nothing lead. For a while, things are quiet. Argentina is beginning to pick up the momentum a bit. They're controlling the ball more. They're making some passes. France is obviously gloating about that goal they just scored. It was starting to become a little bit costly because... Angel Di Maria, in spectacular fashion, would equalize for Argentina. And going into halftime, it's 1-1. Three minutes into the second half. A huge mistake by the French defense. And Igor Lloris caught off guard. Argentina has a 2-1 lead. And it seems that Argentina is going to pull through after all. And Le Bleu are going to crash out of the round of 16. Thus wasting another golden generation because all that talent that France had. And they'd be knocked out in the round of 16 by a struggling Argentine team. All seemed to be over for Le Bleu. Until a magical moment from a player that I guarantee you 90% of French supporters did not know about. I will admit... When I saw that this player was part of the squad, I questioned that call because he didn't he lacked the experience. And I didn't think it was going to work out. I doubted this guy. I doubted, okay? And I will admit, folks, I did not believe in him. But this dude made me eat my words and I can honestly say I am proud of it. I'm proud that he proved me wrong. I am a huge fan of his today. He is succeeding with Bayern Munich. He won the Champions League this past summer, and he is still young. He's still up and rising. He is doing great things for Bayern Munich and the French national team. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about Benjamin Pavard. Benjamin Pavard at the time was playing for a German club, Stuttgart. Okay, 
And when he was part of the squad, I, I told myself, well, he's talented because he did play a couple of games, a couple of uh, international friendlies for France, and he finished the final two World Cup qualifying games, okay? And he did play. I mean, I said, well, he's got speed. He can play defense. He's a smart player, but he's inexperienced. You know, I was shocked that he was picked over the uh, over Luca Digne, uh, Luca Digne, okay? Luca Digne, who uh, I believe at the time was playing for Barcelona, he now plays for Everton. But I figured, well, Didi Deschamps is a smart guy. He won the World Cup as a captain. He's won two Champions League titles. He's capped, you know, and, and one, at the time he was the captain of Juventus when they won it. He was, all, I believe, he was also the captain of Olympique de Marseille when they won the Champions League. This dude knows what he's doing. Now, of course, we all think, well, he lost the he lost to Portugal, you know, on home soil in the final. Well, that was obviously bad luck. But Deschamps is experienced. He's a manager. I think we should get him the fact he knows what he's doing. But Benjamin Pavard, in the 57th minute, okay, France all of a sudden launches an attack. Blaise Matuidi has the ball, makes a long pass to Luca Hernandez, who then kicks the ball backwards, okay, and Benjamin Pavard catches the ball, kicks it forward, and boom, missile strikes its way into the goalkeeper's net. France equalizes. It is two to two. Ladies and gentlemen, that particular goal will go on to be named goal of the tournament. I still have the goal in my head. I still picture it in my head because I've watched the video so many times. I know exactly how it goes. One of the greatest moments in World Cup history Arguably going to go down as one of the greatest goals ever scored in FIFA World Cup history. Benjamin Pavard put his name out there. He caught the attention of the French media and the French soccer supporters. Okay, he could Nobody could ever forget what he did. And from that moment forward, the name Benjamin Pavard would never be forgotten. So it's 2-2. Two to two. But the game could still go either way because it's a tie game. Okay. And there's about 30 minutes to go. Argentina is still playing strong. I mean, they were caught off guard of that play because Benjamin Pavel said in an interview he was, that he was taught that when the ball is, is, is kicked towards you, you kick it back into the direction from which it came from. And that life lesson, advice, worked out quite well for Pavel. Seven minutes later, Kylian Mbappe makes it 3-2 for, for, uh, for France. And that particular play, I remember his first shot did not go in, bounced off of a player, but the Argentine defense did not get, th- did not get back in the form in time. Mbappe got his second chance, and boom, he got it in. The goalkeeper could not get it out. The goalkeeper could not make the save. France has a 3-2 lead. Four minutes later, Mbappe again. Using that unique speed, the dribbling skills, the precision, everything. Breaks through the, again, struggling Argentine defense. Kicks the ball, goes past the goalkeeper. It's 4-2 to France. It's 4-2 in France's favor. Looks like France is, gonna, is heading to the, towards the quarterfinals, while Argentina is unfortunately headed home. Well, Argentina still had not given up, because in the third minute of, of injury time, Sergio Aguero, who actually surprisingly was not in the starting lineup. 
I remember going on Twitter expressing my... Sh- well, maybe I'm not saying right. I guess what I should say is I went on Twitter before this game and I told the world that the fact that Sergio Aguero is not starting this game is very surprising. Well, no, I shouldn't say surprising. It was shocking, if you want if you want the truth. And since I'm the kind of guy that's simply going to tell it like it is and just tell the truth, it was absolutely shocking. But France holds on, 4-3. to three. That's that. Now let's go to Belgium's round of 16 game. Well, we were talking about one of the greatest World Cup games between France and Argentina. Well, Belgium and Japan, well, definitely the greatest comeback in World Cup history because in the after the 52nd minute, Japan had a 2-0 lead, okay? It all changed in the final 20 minutes of the game. I was watching this game, okay? I had to. And when I saw that Japan had a 2-0 lead, okay, and with 20 minutes left, it was still there, Holy shit, can Japan somehow pull this off? Belgium then scores. It's 2-1. to one. I'm like, well, at least Belgium has a goal, but Japan could hang on. 74th minute, Marwan Fellani ties the game. I'm like, holy crap. In a five-minute span, Belgium scores two goals, it's 2-2. Two to two. And the game continues. Fifteen, uh, The next 15 minutes, you know, battling back and forth. And then we're going deep into injury time. And I figured, well, okay, this is probably going to go into extra time. But uh, that, that's okay. It's It's been an interesting game. I'd like this game to keep going. I, wa- I want to see the winner really earn this, earn this victory. Then Thibaut Courtois. Makes a save. Belgium has one chance, one chance only, to somehow get the game-winning goal in regulation. And they do. They drove down the pitch, okay? Drove down the pitch. The Japanese defense could not get in form. They could not get set. Belgium took advantage of it. And in the fourth minute of entry time, Belgium has a 3-2 lead. And a few seconds later, it was game over. So in the round of 16, so we, there's not only the glory in the spotlight for Les Bleus, but Belgium deserves the spotlight as well because they completed the most magnificent comfort behind win in World Cup history. Some might argue that. But if you want my honest opinion, I've never seen a more brilliant comeback than that game. On to the quarterfinals we go. Now for France, there's really not much to say. France versus Uruguay, okay? The news from this game, well, Uruguay had knocked out Portugal, okay? And Uruguay had to play this game without Edinson Cavani, who picked up the injury. Now personally, I was confident. I said, well, even with Cavani, I still think France can pull it off. I mean, Argent, uh, excuse me, Ur- Uruguay still put up a hell of a fight. But with France winning 2-0, France really had earned that victory. 
in that first goal, a free kick by Antoine Griezmann who connected with Raphael Varane. Oh, man, that that was amazing. And, and for Raphael Varane, it, it made up for a mistake that he made four years ago, a mistake that he made on, on a free kick in a quarterfinals game against Germany that allowed Germany to score the game-winning goal in the 13th minute. So Raphael Varane redeemed himself. But in that game as well, there was one play where Hugo Lloris made a spectacular save, okay? With one hand, at the very last second, Hugo Lloris just goalkeeping magic. Not long after, okay, Antoine Griezmann scored a goal. But there was something about this goal. And this was in the 61st minute. Griezmann kicks the ball. The goalkeeper... Goalkeeper touched the ball, but did not handle it correctly. The ball hit his hand, but slipped, but went, I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It was an error on the, on the Uruguayan goalkeeper, Fernando Maslara. But what's, what's memorable about that, it's not that the, how the goal, how the ball went, went in there, despite the goalkeeper, his best efforts to keep the ball from going in. It's the fact that Antoine Griezmann did not celebrate that particular goal. Watch the video, folks. You'll see. And Antoine Griezmann will go on to explain he did not celebrate simply out of respect. He mentions that his mentors are from Uruguay. Okay? And that the go- the godfather of his daughter is from Uruguay, who's, a, who's a, a teammate from Atletico Madrid. Much respect to Antoine Griezmann for that particular play. France wins 2-0. They return to the semifinals for the first time since 2006. Now we shift to another upset, okay? Belgium taking on Brazil in the quarterfinals, and Brazil was a was the favorite to win this one. Belgium beats them 2-1. That goal by Kevin De Bruyne, I still remember that one very well. But what really hurts Brazil is that in the 13th minute, Fernandinho committed an own goal. Belgium has a 1-0 lead, okay? Eight minutes later, Kevin De Bruyne makes it 2-0. The game stays that way for a long time until the 76th minute when Renato Augusto makes it 2-1, but Belgium holds on. (laughs) Unfortunately, I, I did have to miss that game. I don't know exactly... Why, but no going back and seeing the highlights. I mean, I did actually have the game. I did have the game recorded, so I did go back and watch it. But I had I had not ever gone back to watch it because you know I, I'm not sure why. But but now we get to finally what we're here for: the semifinal clash between France and Belgium. This was certainly a game that had the world's attention. Okay, both teams won their group. One team actually won in a dominating way, while one team really. Got lucky. France did get lucky. Winning, beating Australia 2-1, to there was luck. The game against Peru was luck, okay? Even the 0-0 draw against Denmark was luck because France got away with a, got, got away with a penalty foul and Denmark could have won that game. France knocked out Argentina and Uruguay. Belgium knocked off Japan and Brazil. A lot of debate and argument on who was the favorite. Many would say Belgium. Many would say France. Both teams had immense talent. No. No, 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 no. Well, to say that they had immense talent, ladies and gentlemen, well, that would be one hell of a major understatement. 
Belgium seemed a bit more disciplined. But the French team that we saw in the, in the knockout stage, this was not the team that we saw in the, in the group stage. France was not the team they were in the group stage. All of a sudden, they were in high gear. France was playing soccer the way they should. They were The talent was actually doing its job. In other words, France was actually being the French team that pundits, critics wanted to see. To be honest, this game could have simply gone either way. It could have gone either way. Okay. Belgium had a great golden generation coming in this one. Romelu Lukaku, Eden Azald, Marwan Fellani, Toby Alderweireld, just name a few, Thibaut Courtois. Of course, in France's case, even though he was not at, uh, he was not at the top form, he was still leading the team. He was still helping the attack. I'm talking about Olivier Giroud. Now, of course, he that we all remember that the tournament, you know, didn't have a goal and like like that. But you know what? I, I've said this many times before. He was leading the attack. Okay, he was dribbling the ball around. He was helping lead the attack. Olivier Giroud did do a great job in the World Cup. If you want to laugh at me, you go right ahead, okay? I saw how Olivier Giroud was making a huge impact for the French national team, especially on the attack, him leading the way for Mbappe, for Antoine Griezmann, for all the other younger, talented players on offense. Keep in mind, that game against Peru, okay? Olivier Giroud led the way for Kylian Mbappe. Set up Kylian Mbappe to sneak, from, to sneak through the back door on the Peruvian defense. It worked out quite well. Now, whilst it was argued whether France or Belgium was the favorite, there was one thing that both sides would agree on. That the winner of this match would win the World Cup. That turned out to be true. Okay. Now, the other, the other semifinal game was England and Croatia. We all know how that game went. And I'm not going to go into it. Okay. But, but it was honestly felt that these two teams, France and Belgium, so much talent, okay? But Belgium was the team that that, that really had you know, something that mattered. They had more... The, their golden generation in this game had more experience. They were more disciplined. That's why Belgium, in my opinion, Belgium had to be the favorite. I mean, obviously for me, I would say, well, France is better, but that's my that's my opinion as a strong supporter of the French national team. This is basically me outside of my journalist perspective, okay? In my journalism perspective, I simply say, well, both teams could be very well evenly matched. This is simply a game that could go either way. And we saw that in this particular game. I mean, this game was physical, and it was stressful, and I explained it why, okay? I mean, this goes down as a duel between two of the greatest and most talented golden generations for both France and Belgium, okay? Two brilliant attacks. Two very solid defenses, okay? But, uh, just, just so much was on the line. I mean, we were in for a hell of a show. And I told, in my prediction of this game, I, I said, there is no way in hell, absolutely no way in hell, that this game could, could be over in regulation or an extra time. I made a very bold prediction. I vowed. No. I guaranteed. 
that this game would be decided in a penalty shootout. Well, that didn't go so well for me. I mean, I, <laughs> I still ask myself this day, how could I make such a prediction? Because personally, ladies and gentlemen, I hate penalty shootouts. I hate them with a passion because I'm still haunted with how we lost in a penalty shootout to Italy in 2006. I hate penalty shootouts. Anyway, let me get back to reality. But, but that didn't happen. The game didn't even end in extra time. It ended in regulation. This went completely against my prediction. But you know what? At the end of the day, I was simply content because France won it. And France was going to its third World Cup final. And I was praying, let's win it this time. France would win one nothing, And like I said, to say that this game was fought tooth and nail, to say that this game was was a hard-fought game, solid, non-stop effort by both teams, another major understatement. Unfortunately for Belgium, this loss snapped a 24-game winning streak. Okay. And of course, they had to go in and, you know, fight for the bronze against England in the, in the third in the third uh, place match which they did okay and for France to reach the final it, it was their third final okay only Germany and Italy have reached more World Cup finals so that would mean France has has been in, in the third most finals this really reminded me there was a game back in 1986 when France and Belgium fought for the for the bronze medal in the in the, in the, in the third place game I spoke to my good friend and mentor Steve about that game, and I spoke to my dad about this game. They both remember the game very well. I mean, Belgium at the time, back in 1986, they had a pretty good golden generation. But from that moment after that, Belgium really didn't have much, didn't have the best luck in the World Cup. But believe it or not, France and Belgium really do have quite a history when it comes to soccer. But anyway, the French defense was young, it was talented, and there was a lot of depth. Okay, and France had to France had to utilize a formation: four defenders, two midfielders, three strike, uh, three forwards, and a, and a lone striker. Okay. It was the way to effectively contain a Belgian attack that was very dangerous. I mean, Belgium had Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, and Romelu Lukaku, okay? It was not going to be choir practice for the French defense. And for France to use four defenders is the best way to go is the best way to do it, okay? You got to put as much you got to stack as much on the defense to keep an opposing attack from getting too comfortable. You want to keep the opposing attack uncomfortable. You want to deny them at every chance. So France, France utilizing very four very talented defenders that were all young and actually had some experience. But of course, you know, go I mean, even though Benjamin Pavard, you know, his experience was not all there. I figured, well, he might not have the experience. But you know what? If Benjamin Pavard starts this game and actually plays great, and France wins this game, well, his experience level increases significantly. Now Belgium came to this came into that game, scoring 14 goals on the tournament. And keep in mind, folks, those 14 goals was the most of any team. That's another reason why Belgium was really was truly the favorite. Okay, 
But the French defense was just so amazing, so amazing, thwarting every threat launched by the Belgian attack. Because Belgium just, the attack, even though they didn't have as many shots on goal, because keep in mind, the French defense would foil the attacks even before Belgium had a chance to even try to get the ball into the net. In other words, the French midfield and defense was all over the Belgium, the Belgians, okay? But also Belgium was the same way. Belgium's defense was iron rock solid. Belgium's de uh, midfield was ab absolutely spectacular. Like I said, these two nations were fighting tooth and nail. Fighting over the ball, okay? Launching counterattacks on each other. Foiling attempts for from one another. Literally, they were simply getting it to each other's head. Well, that's how the game is played. The French defense miraculously was able to play in a super well-organized fashion, and they were a resilient, iron-solid defense, okay? But the same thing goes for Belgium. The only goal that was scored in this game was, of course, by Samuel Umtiti, and I really have to mention this, but it, I'm sure everybody who's listening, they remember Samuel Umtiti's celebration after that goal. I mean, it was it was pretty cool. But the point is, is that the way France was able to score was off of a corner kick. Samuel Umtiti getting set, okay, literally snuck. I mean, I mean you know, the Belgian players really. I I don't know if I can say they weren't they weren't ready for Umtiti or um, well, I guess okay. You know what? Here's how it is. I don't know how. I don't know how he did it, but Sam Umtiti managed to find a way to jump one step ahead of the of, of the opposing players, okay? Some might say, like, well, when the Belgian players took their eyes off of him, and as Antoine Griezmann was getting it, was probably a second away from kicking the ball, Sam Umtiti made his move, okay? He was able to slip through, get through there, and then boom. Gets the ball in. France has a one nothing lead. And it didn't change. But that's really where the stress level for me really came about. That's where it really increased significantly. Because I told myself... And I was watching this game with my dad. okay, And he was really frustrated at the first half. Because France was running the ball around. okay, But France was taking too long to try to get the ball in. okay, And that's what my dad hates. okay. I remember my dad shouting many times... Play! Play! That's when France is, is, you know, really running up the pitch with the ball dribbling around, getting into the Belgians' penalty box, but not taking a shot. Allow, and, and when they delay it, delay taking the shot, you give the Belgian defense plenty of time to organize itself to thwart your attack. I mean, but the problem is, you know, with the mid, with the Belgian midfield, you know, still sticking right by there, and, and, and the Belgian defense, you know, keeping up, even if France had attempted to a shot, you know, a, a defender or whatever, you know, could have, could have thwarted it. I mean, like I said, France and De France and Belgium thwarted each attack. Okay. So, and there was actually one particular play. Well, Romelu Lukaku, if he had connected with the ball, he would have scored for Belgium, because Sam Lumtidi was caught off guard by Lukaku. But Lukaku was unable to connect with the ball, and the ball went out for a goal kick. I don't think Hugo Lloris could have saved it, okay? So France got super lucky on that play. 
France had mistakes of their own. They had their chances too, but could not get it in. You know, the show, the highlights of this game, it's not only the heavy iron, the heavy, the deep, iron rock solid defenses for both France and Belgium. It was Hugo Lloris and Thibaut Courtois. God, I can't even tell you how many magnificent saves they both did. I mean, I remember when Hugo Lloris made that, you know, saved a, a shot attempt by Toby Alderweireld. And then not long after, he saved uh, several from Eden Hazard, even from Marwan Fellani. Thibaut Courtois saved uh, you know, Benjamin Pavard, you know, got in position to kick the ball, but Thibaut Courtois would, would stop it. You know, killing Mbappe the same way. You know, even Eden, excuse me, even Antoine Griezmann. The point is that while the defenses had a huge, the defense deserved the spotlight. You got to give the spotlight to the two goalkeepers this game. But anyway, after France has a one nothing lead in the fifty first minute, I was scared because I was like, well, now Belgium's really pissed off. Belgium's probably even more focused than ever because it's it's probably not going to take long for Belgium to equalize. Belgium's attack was not showing any signs of slowing down or even letting up. That meant that France could not take their foot off the gas pedal. They had to play Iron Rock solid defense till the final whistle was blown. Okay? I felt like it was going to be it's going to be damn near impossible to miraculously keep a clean sheet, much less win the game. France did exactly that. Did not lose their focus. Okay, stayed well concentrated. That's why they were able to win the game. And I wrote and I wrote an article on this with Primetime Sports Talk. Okay, and I had the same mindset, the same game plan as as I had for this particular episode when I wrote the article. Okay, and I can honestly say that every second of this game was crucial. Okay, and I've said this many times: the game is not over until that final whistle is blown. That's why France's defense had to play hard, like as if their life depended on it, until it was game over. Because if uh, the second they let up, Belgium would have taken advantage of it. I guarantee you. And going to giving credit to Belgium's uh, defense, I mean, it was hard. It, it, it must have been harder for them. <coughs> I mean, how difficult would it be to contain the combo of Olivier Giroud? Antoine Griezmann, Kylian Mbappe, Blaise Matuidi, who, by the way, had a huge part in this game, dribbling the ball in the midfield, along with Paul Pogba. I mean, France's offensive talent was more than enough to simply overwhelm an Iron Rock solid and well-organized Belgian defense. Okay. I remember as soon as the, the, the first whistle was blown, France took the ball... Mbappe all of a sudden, you know, started running up the field and, and started beginning to th- to th- uh, to threaten or get the ball in. And then Thibaut Courtois would have to be in position. And then the Belgian defense, while they were able to get themselves organized, I mean, they immediately have to sprint. I mean, that energy level is already beginning to drain. But the, w- the way you see it, and, and I wrote this in the article, and I'm going to quote myself. as I said, the French defense would show no mercy while the Belgian defense would show no fear. The same way goes around. The Belgian attack showed no mercy, while the French defense showed no fear. Both sides were merciless to each other, but at the same time were fearless on the opposition. 
I'm still... I still get goosebumps talking about this game, okay? And based on everything I said, that simply proves how, how the game could have gone either way. A one thing result is usually a boring, it's usually not fun, but this game of how physical it was, how hard, how it was fought tooth and nail, how both teams just did not quit, how the French defense had to play hard until the end, especially because they had because France is one who had the one nothing advantage, and how the French attack just kept kept pulling at it, kept like kept trying to put more, trying to kept keep scoring because. Keep in mind a one a one nothing a one nothing lead against a brutal Belgian attack. Most would say it's not meant to last long. But France won, going into the World Cup final, and France went on to beat Croatia four to two to bring home their second title. This particular game, ladies and gentlemen, France and Belgium. I'm gonna tell you. About honestly, about the final, the final part of this game is what was the injury time. Especially, like I said, you know how France had they won a thing late, and, and and I was and I was for sure that Belgium was gonna equalize any minute. Now, I told that to my dad because my dad boldly predicted. <coughs> excuse me, my dad. I swear to you. My dad boldly predicted that once France scored, it was over. Honestly, I do not know what made him that confident that Belgium had no chance of equalizing. Maybe my dad just decided, well, I'm brave enough to make such predictions, right? And I didn't argue with my dad. I told my dad, well, dad, I I respect your prediction. I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm not going to criticize you, okay? But I'm I'm, going to simply say... I'm not going to say that you're wrong. I simply said you could be wrong. Because like I said, you can't make predictions you can't back up. I mean, knowing how brutal Belgium's attack was, again, you know, those 14 goals that came to this game was the most. Belgium could have done it. But it didn't happen. And as I'm looking at the match stats, I mean, they really do tell a story. But when I saw, like, as soon as we hit the, the 90 minute mark, okay, I was like, this is going to be crazy. I mean, because six minutes of entry time was added. Six minutes! And that seems forever. But there was a couple, of, the way the game ended, you know, a couple of yellow, I mean, the, the second half was just was more physical because. Uh, at least five, I, I know a total of five yellow cards were issued in this game. Okay. And every yellow card issued in this game was in the second half. Okay. It, it, it was after the 30 minute mark. So the final 20, 25 minutes of the game, I mean, that's where, that's where things really got like kind of started going out of hand. I mean, you saw, you saw, I saw the, the French players and Belgian players kind of, Making these hard tackles on each other. I mean, nothing dirty, but you know, of course, both both teams were frustrated because France wanted to keep wanted to increase their lead, and you know, and Thibaut Courtois was making saves. The Belgian defense was thwarting the French attacks while France was doing the same thing. I mean, both teams were, like I said, both teams had gone in, in, into each other's head. Okay. One of the unfortunate moments of this game was when Kylian Mbappe received a yellow card. You know, for for time wasting. You know that game before against Uruguay, 
he actually purposely dove and was able to actually avo- avoid the, the yellow card. I mean, if he had gotten that yellow card and got the yellow card here, he would have been suspended for the final. That would not have been good. But at the match stats, I mean, Belgium had 63% ball possession, okay? <sighs> Unbelievable. Close to 600 total passes, okay? While France only had 346. <coughs> Excuse me. A shot accuracy of 26% for France and 33% for Belgium. <laughs> France had six block shots. France had two big chances missed, okay? Like I said, both teams superior, got in, in, into each other's head. That's why this game was so great. It wasn't just about on the field. It was a psychological, a psychologically fought game too. Mentally, psychologically fought game too. <laughs> it was worth every second to watch, and I watched this game and doing well. Like like I said earlier, the psychological examination. It was fun to do that way because I know, at this point in my life, you know, as a, in my career as a, as a sports writer and a podcaster, I can't just watch the game as a fan. I have to put in the sports writing perspective. Now, of course, like like I've said many times, the two the, the two fight in my head. Like there's the sports writer part of me and there's the super fan part of me. They fight in my head. But nobody wins. At, at, at the end, they simply have, there's a stalemate. They say, well. It's for the best. And that's what I did with this game. This game really changed my life, like especially from a sportsman perspective in the world of soccer. It really taught me to, to take the psychological examination much more seriously, and then I finally realized it's good for my career. Ladies and gentlemen, Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Thank you all very much for joining me this evening, and I will see you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.